Wardcast episode 227, go! Hey everyone, we've uh, made it to the end of the year. All of all of the all of the games have been have been chosen for both uh, best games played and the honorables. I hope you all enjoyed listening to those. And uh, here we are at the the precipice of a of a new decade. And what better way to round it out than with a couple of our guests from the past year coming on to talk to us about some of the games that meant the most to them. I'm super grateful for all the people that took the time to send in some uh, clips of them talking about uh, the games they felt strongly about this year. And I'm also grateful for everyone that's been on a PAX panel, came on the show at E3. Uh, thanks to Khalif for you know being willing to, to collaborate with me. That meant the world and I could go to E3 for the first time and and talk to people got to talk to tim schaefer that was awesome thanks to people that that came to our magfest nightly show i always really i really enjoyed doing that this year and and coordinating with everyone and trying to get like a bunch of different people on to talk about you know their experiences and what what they were doing at the show it's always such an interesting show to do because it's it's relatively small it's less commercial than like a pax would be so you get a different crop of of developers and creators going to that and i think those nightly shows we did really speaks to that and um thanks for all the guests that that came on to our 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 regular guest shows either locally or or remotely um i'm always grateful for people willing to take the time to to come and and talk to me about their experiences and their their perspectives in the industry uh so like i mentioned last episode uh coming up after this in 2020 we'll be making our our yearly sojourn to uh to magfest where uh i'll be putting on a panel called have i made it which is kind of like a, a open discussion about working in games and and people bringing their perspectives of like when they finally thought they like were part of the games industry kind of speaking to like how they dealt with with when self-doubt crept in uh, I kind of want to make it a, a different kind of uh, discussion because normally talks about working in an industry is like, oh, this is what you do. These are your events you go to and blah, 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 blah. This is how you network. This is how you write a resume. This is the stuff you should leave out of a resume. And that's all That's all great. But I think there's less uh, information out there f- with dealing with the emotional weight of of dealing with climbing that mountain. And hopefully we can speak more of that. Uh, on that panel joining me will be uh, Anya Combs of uh, Kickstarter. And then uh, Sam Ang, who you might have remembered him from uh, one of the MAGFest nights uh, last year. Or this year. Earlier this year. I feel like that does... That isn't, we're right on the edge. Like, it's, it's time... It, it, gets, it gets murky there. Um, who is the developer of Zarvat. He'll be on there as well. We might have... Well, another person coming i'll have to I'll have to check but uh, at the very least it will be us three um and then like our regular magfest nightly show into the mag still thinking about what i'm gonna do with that um i would like to put at least one episode out while i'm at magfest uh in 2020 so you'll have to you know 
It'll be less than a week and you'll find out if we have that episode up or not. But let's close out 2019 right with some of our friends talking about their favorite games. Take it away and we'll see you in 2020. Hey, WordCast listeners, this is Ruthie Edwards, your resident UX designer and boring game lover. I'm reporting to you not live from uh, Brooklyn, New York. This has been a year of ups and downs for the boring game genre, I have to say. Um, in March, got to play Baba Is You, which is this very complex logic puzzler. It's got really abstract gameplay. Um, and it like really hurts your brain so much that I've actually fallen asleep multiple times playing it. Excellent boring game. But then uh, later that year, this year I mean, uh, Nintendo delayed Animal Crossing, which is probably the worst thing that's ever happened to me in t- my entire life. Um, but they delayed it for a very good reason, which is that they wanted their developers to avoid crunch and get enough sleep which is inherently very boring, and I approve. Um, So that's okay with me. But then after that, I got to play a short hike, which is enough to hold me over until Animal Crossing comes out next March. Um, It's a delightful little boring game um, where you take a short hike. It's pretty straightforward, really enjoyable controls. Love that game. But then the most boring game I could possibly imagine came out, uh, it's kind of like a spiritual successor to Animal Crossing. It's um, a game where you're building a town, and you're collecting bugs and other stuff, just like Animal Crossing. And the majority of gameplay, you're like walking around, you're delivering packages, you're doing favors for people. And of course, the game I'm talking about is Death Stranding. Uh, but this game was actually too boring for me. Because the stuff that uh, most people think is really exciting, like combat and uh, boss fights, and, like cutscenes that they spent millions of dollars on employing like really good actors, all that stuff is like excruciatingly boring to me. So I actually just liked the part where you drive around and uh, build things a lot more. And because that multiplayer is so cool, I think that deserved a mention, but... Too boring. So, my actual best boring game of the year is Ring Fit Adventure. I unironically love this game. And lately I've been playing it every single day, like in the morning before work. Uh, (laughs) Ring Fit Adventure is, of course, a fitness game. It's a first-party title for Nintendo on the Switch. And it includes this physical peripheral that's kind of modeled after... I think in Pilates, it's called a magic ring. But it's this ring you put the Joy-Con into, or the put you put one Joy-Con in, and then the other one, you have your, it strapped to your leg. Um, and you can push in on it, or you can pull out on it. Um, and it's got a decent amount of resistance to it. Um, so even, I think, people who are moderately fit will find that it's it can be pretty hard to with the resistance and all that. But... Uh, with that said, the plot itself is very stupid. You're uh, an anime character, basically, like complete with glowing yellow hair and all that, fighting 
anthropomorphized workout equipment like kettlebells and those big bouncy balls and stuff. <laughs> so it's very stupid. But the fact that it's really built out more like um, a classic JRPG makes it way more engaging than previous games in the fitness genre. Because you've got things like a skill tree and you've got uh, attacks with strengths and weaknesses like sit-ups and uh, squats and things to d- attack different types of monsters. You can also make smoothies, which are potions. So those have different buffs and effects. Um, and you can also upgrade your equipment. There's subquests. There's all kinds of stuff. So it's actually fairly complex in the actual gameplay. Um, but there's also a lot of great accessibility options in this game. If you, say, need to play the game in a chair, you can do that. Or if you want to avoid um, using your arms, you can do that. Um, but one of, one of my favorite of those accessibility and usability features is um, a quiet mode, I think it's called, that uh, minimizes the amount of stomping you do. So if you have downstairs neighbors, you don't disturb them. It's just a really, really thoughtful feature, and I love that that's there. But um, overall, I really love how user-friendly the game is, um, all of the interface and all of the different adjustments you can make to the skill level. It's re- it explains all of these moves really nicely, and it tells you, like, hey, you're not going far enough down on your squat, things like that. Um, and it teaches that correct form using audio and visual feedback. So it's, I mean, really adaptable, really just nicely made game. And the mini games are fun. They're always like good for a laugh at parties. Some of them are like, how many times can you jump up and down in a minute? So some of them are pretty dumb, but actually they turn out to be really fun when you get multiple people involved. But what I love most about this game is how it really stretches the medium of video games on a whole new level. Um, to become kind of a normal part of your everyday life. And I also love how the Joy-Cons are used in such a weird and innovative way. Um, One of the coolest things is that it can actually measure your pulse. You can put your thumb over the IR reader on the Joy-Con and it can read your pulse somewhat accurately, which is wild. So in the next year, I hope everyone gets to play awesome games. And I hope Nintendo... You keep making weird shit because I love it. Hey, my name is uh, Harris Foster. I am the community manager of Finji. Um, and Dylan asked me to talk about my favorite game of 2019. And uh, let's just jump into it. Uh, forgive me if I sound a little rough. I just came off of extra life, a 24 hour marathon. And I was screaming the whole time. So yeah, my voice is going to be rough. But that is semi related to uh, my favorite game of the year, one of my favorite games of the year, uh, which is Halo Reach uh, for the PC. Uh, Master Chief Collection hit PC this year. And being able to hop back into Halo uh, is a pretty good feeling. But really, the magic comes from the fact that everyone is playing it again. Uh, One of the main attractions of our Extra Life stream was a a block where we all played in-house Halo. So we had a room full of computers, everyone at their own battle station, playing this, you know, nearly 10-year-old game, and it felt magical. It took me back to 
the times when I would have little land parties, you know, at my house growing up amongst my friends. Uh, and yeah, there was just a, a magic in the air in that room that we don't really have anymore with the ubiquity of online games. You know, people were screaming their, you know, at each other from their own computers. We didn't use voice chat. It was all just yelling between rooms and, uh, you know, it's, it, it became a much more personal thing. You know, whenever you're playing an online game, you know, you'll, you'll see a rival person, but they're always just a screen name and to play Halo Reach LAN and to be able to yell, you know, very, very, very directed personal insults at people whenever they got a headshot on you, uh, is really something I, I miss and is what got me into games in the first place. So, you know, to cap off 2019 with all of us playing uh, this classic really, really just made my year. Um, anyway, uh, that's, yeah, that's a quick little spiel on Halo Reach. Uh, back to you, Dylan. My name is Sarah El Male. Thank you so much for um, having me talk about a game that I am still thinking about this year, um, still that raised questions in me about myself that I'm still wrestling with um, and kind of like realize I have to look at. Um, and I hope that if you do check it out that you enjoy it too. Full disclosure, I am in this game for like two seconds, uh, two short seconds. Um, it's a small role, the smallest role in the game. Um, so I don't feel that guilty hyping it up because really I'm I'm it, I'm so energized and proud and um, amazed at the work of um, not just the rest of the cast but um, but everyone who worked on the game. Okay, the game is Eliza. <laughs> uh, the game is Eliza. It's a visual novel by Zach Tronics, who's better known for their programming puzzle games. Um, very clever uh, folks over there. So Zach Tronics, normally known for a very different kind of game, let Matthew Sagey Burns, who's their writer, um, go nuts, kind of kind of take ownership of this thing. Also, full disclosure, I've known Matthew for a very long time, um, uh, and I've loved his writing for a very long time back at Killscreen and his Twitter and uh, I was just really personally excited to see him head up a project and curious what how it would kind of come come out and what he would want to say and do um, with the reins. Um, but so you play as, uh, like I said, it's a visual novel and you play as a young woman who starts working at a company um, that's kind of like an Uber for therapy. So there's this, this, this algorithm, an AI, that determines the questions that are asked in a therapy session. So it requires human beings as quote unquote proxies to kind of speak the words aloud, like you would have an, an actual human Uber driver. But everything that they're saying is fed to them kind of in these like little glasses um, where the algorithm tells them exactly what to say to the client. So you start working there and, and it's about the clients that you meet and the questions that this, this technology kind of raises. Your your relationship to that technology is kind of revealed and, and, and investigated. Um, and your personal relationship as a human, as a player, is is kind of questioned and uh, and provoked. I think just me personally, I I was really struck and unsettled. I think that's what I love the most about this game, actually, is just how unsettled I was. This game chose to unsettle me in ways that most games don't try to unsettle me. I mean, if it was like gore or jump scares or, you know, provocative, explicit content or swearing, like the, like games kind of do that all pretty well. Um, but this game unsettled me by asking nuanced questions about real life, real 
you know, concerns, real things that are happening around us in society right now um, with the development of technology and our relationships to each other, the alienation um, and isolation and loneliness present in society at unprecedented levels now. Like this was a sort of a, a, a questioning tool making me look at really major questions that I should be answering or, or looking at for myself as a human being. Um, and some games manage to do that, but it's often on kind of a grander scale or in an abstracted kind of a sci-fi or a fantasy allegorical mode. But this is just very, very close to home. Um, and both the questions it's asking and the people, the characters that you meet in it are just so close to home that that they can be unsettling. I mean, when someone is talking about their insecurities or their fears or their prejudices or any of those things, it's in such a key. The fact that the game is in this mundane, realistic key um, just makes it a different kind of squeamish. I found myself being both feeling compassion for and kind of aversion to um, my clients and my character, myself and and that kind of tension is really unique. Um, these characters, their foibles are real and they are they're mundane enough to be familiar and realistic. Um, and they're also they're not at all cutesy. They're not pathologized and they're not kinkified. And they're none of these things. There's no safe abstraction or layer between you and someone who's just a little bit too worried about their career or someone who's really worried about being a father or someone who's really overwhelmed with the state of the world today. That particular friction was pretty new to me in a game, and the actors are so amazing. Um, you know, the voice director is Chris Brown, someone I also really love working with and who I've admired for a long time. She's a voice director who worked with incredible voice talent going back to the LucasArts Adventure Game days, um, which had great voiceover. She's incredibly compassionate, um, wise, and safe. She's a director who makes you feel safe and like you can do your best work. Um, and so there's these incredible actors in it. I mean, you know, Sissy Jones and um, your Lowenthal and uh, this newcomer, Eileen Kay, who plays the main gal. Oh, my God. If I can just take a little sidebar. I was talking about this on Twitter. We see a lot in, in voiceover the, the um, specs. And that's that's the kind of information that you get about the character that you're auditioning for that ask for, like, not a voiceover actor, someone who doesn't sound like polished and fake and whatever. And you're like, hey, I'm an actor. Just tell me what you want me to sound like. That's so confusing and unhelpful. But what I think they're getting at is a kind of subtlety and naturalism and being um, unaffected. And this this woman, this person I didn't I don't think isn't done any other games is just extraordinary. I mean, it's like this. I think games often ask us to act in neon. We're, we're doing these bold strokes, these big modes, really extreme. And that can be very cathartic and fun to do as an actor. And then here comes this part that's thoughtful and realistic and, and just kind of the gal who might live next door if you were living in San Francisco. Um, and she's just painting in watercolor. And I find that so exhilarating. She was so, she covers this breadth of emotion and mood and and stance and feeling comfortable and powerful in herself and feeling uncomfortable and uncertain. And all of it is there. It's not like there's nothing lost in her performance for being subdued and for being intimate and for being subtle. And it was just really profoundly affecting to me as a, as a performer and as a person. So yeah, between the questions I was asking about who I want to be in the world and how I want to contribute, do I need to contribute in this grand scale way? Or should I go off and just be authentic and true to myself in a way that I can control? And that's much more smaller scale, more one to one. You know, do I do I throw the whole system out when something seems like it's being, you know, um, co-opted or taken in a, in a scary direction? Or do I try and get back in and fix it from inside? Like, yeah, I don't know. Um, 
I'm still thinking about how I how capable of connection I am with other people and whether that's something in me that I need to fix or if it's that the world is the problem or, you know, how how we open these channels to connect authentically and fully with the people around us, even as we're kind of critical or watchful of 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 their influences on us or, or how they conduct themselves. I'm, I'm still thinking about all these things like about it makes me think about who I want to be as a voice actor, as a performer. And it makes me think about who I want to be as a person uh, in the world, an ambitious person in the world who wants to do good. I really just can't recommend it enough. It's pretty fabulous. I hope you all check it out. Happy holidays and happy new year to all of you. Hey, Wardcast people. Uh, this is Dante Douglas. I have been on the Wardcast w- twice, uh, if you count that live recording, so that's why you might know me. Um, I am going to talk about a game called Dicey Dungeons, which uh, fucking rules. Um, <laughs> so Dicey Dungeons is a roguelike, but it's a roguelike that is structured around turn-based battles, uh, where you roll dice and then you slot those dice into cards. So it's a bit like a deck builder in the sense that there are cards on the field, but it doesn't really work like a deck builder because it doesn't really work like a card game. Um, it's kind of hard to explain it over audio, but what I can say is that I don't really like randomized concepts in games in general. Um, and Dicey Dungeons somehow made it so that I very much actually enjoy randomization uh, in a roguelike combat format, which is wild. It's uh, basically this has been accomplished by using dice and the numbers on those dice as a sort of mana pool that you distribute across your cards. Uh, that in itself is not super remarkable but just the implementation of it the music the art style shout out to um some of the folks on that dev team who are my friends um and that's why i'm talking about it here because it's definitely one of those collusion games but holy shit dicey dungeons is good you don't have to listen to me about it other people have talked about how it's good so it's not just me um but yeah dicey dungeons uh one of those games that just really came out took me by surprise uh and i ended up playing way too much of it uh it's a great podcast game as in a game to listen to or a game to play while you're listening to a podcast which i think is a valuable type of game to have um and uh yeah it's it's immensely charming full of replayability the things that they have done to make that game replayable are noteworthy on their own it's it's a testament to roguelike design in many ways um so yeah, that's my uh, that's my recommendation for the end of year. 2019 was a weird year. Uh, played a lot of video games, uh, changed careers, uh, moved to a new city. It's 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 been a lot, uh, but I think that um, you should play Dicey Dungeons <laughs> because trust me, you aren't gonna regret it. Uh, it's a good video game. Thank you so much, Wardcast. Thank you so much, Dylan. Uh, see y'all on the flip side of the year. This is Ben Wander from The Wandering Band. We're currently neck deep in working on Airborne Kingdom, so there are plenty of amazing games that released this year, which I should have played and never got a chance to, or definitely didn't spend enough time with. 
Um, but of the games I did play, there is one in particular that I can't stop thinking about. Baba is you. Baba is You, at its core, is just a collection of small puzzles of escalating difficulty. Minimalist pixel art, memorable music, and a cute little sheep as your main character. But instead of blocks or gems or numbers or symbols, your little Baba is pushing words around. And those words are the rules of the game. So a level might start with basic rules like Baba is you, wall is stop, flag is win, which requires your little sheep to touch the flag without going through walls. But you might push these words around to read wall is you, Baba is win, which immediately changes the parameters so that you are now controlling the walls in the level and you have to touch the sheep to win. The entire concept breaks my brain. Every level starts with easy rules, maybe key is unlock, but might end up with crazy things. Key is teleport, or key is love, or love is you. It makes the player realize that what they're doing, and video games in general, are all a lie. Everything on the screen is just a symbol. The symbol for the sheep is no more a sheep than a key or a wall or any number of other possibilities. Dig deep enough, and it really takes the entire concept of video games and makes you question everything. And yet, as deep as it can go, it's so deceptively simple. This game could have been made 40 years ago on an Atari 2600, but it wasn't. Not because it wasn't possible, but because nobody had thought of it. And that's so elegant. A simple set of rules, decades-old mechanics, and yet so completely new. It's why, this year, I can't get Baba Is You out of my head. And it'll probably stay there for many, many years to come.